Well, hello there. You might be surprised to be hearing from me so soon. I thought your podcast comes out every other week. Isn't that what you're thinking? Well, surprise for you, we are going back to a weekly model. At least for the first few months of 2020, we're going to give it a go at releasing the podcast every Friday so that we can keep your podcast queue full of great information that will affect your ability to live well and thrive as an entrepreneur. As always, it's a combination of research, interviews, a little bit of philosophy and personal story thrown in that's designed to make the mental health side, the heart side, the inner side of entrepreneurship a little bit easier. And as I look over the podcast plan for the next couple of months, I'm super excited about many of the guests that I'm interviewing and many of the topics that we're going to tackle. So thanks for being a listener to the show. We hope that you're jazzed that it's coming back on a weekly basis. As always, it's super helpful to us, if you like what you hear, for you to share the podcast with someone, share it on your Twitter feed, share it on the social media, all the things. And of course, those iTunes reviews are always so helpful. So thanks for listening. And I am looking forward to being in your earbuds a little bit more often this year. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means. Sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. I don't know if you've spent a lot of time in an inpatient psychiatric unit. I haven't spent a lot of time, but some time in the context of training as a psychologist um, and also visiting people who I have known who have needed to be hospitalized at some point or another. But psychiatric inpatient units, the way that they exist in the United States now is that they are really, generally speaking, kind of a, a holding place for people who are either so psychiatrically unwell or so kind of medically and psychiatrically complex that there's not really another safe place for them. They're not a place of a lot of treatment. Usually people are just there for a matter of hours or days. They are stabilized enough to where they no longer feel actively suicidal. And then they're kind of released out into some other care. So they are not easy places to be. I remember when I was doing some training at a VA hospital that had an inpatient unit, even to walk onto the unit, I had to remove my phone, my keys, basically anything from my person. And then we had these special um, badge lanyards that would quickly release if someone pulled on them. So to be blunt, you couldn't be strangled with your own, own badge lanyard. And this was sort of the like approach to a psychiatric inpatient unit that I was trained with. Like basically the implicit message is it's dangerous. 
dangerous for you, the mental health professional, and dangerous for the people who are in the unit, lest you set your badge down, leave the unit, and someone commit an act of aggression with your left-behind lanyard. So these are intense places, and they are generally spots where people don't want to be <laughs> spending a lot of time. Like I said, they not because there aren't well-meaning staff, but because generally they are confronted with highly complicated problems and very short amounts of time. They tend not to be places where people feel very successful in their pursuit of mental health. And that is one reason why I was really surprised to come across this journal article in Global Advances in Health and Medicine that talked about a surprisingly successful intervention that was administered in an inpatient psychiatric unit in a hospital and produced almost immediate benefit, almost immediate results. People went from feeling depressed, sometimes suicidal, hopeless to right after this intervention, feeling much more hopeful, feeling happy, and even reporting a sense of positive self-esteem, healthier sleep, reduced anxiety. So, oh my goodness, what is this magical intervention, this magical drug, this magical cure to some of the most complicated mental health problems that we face as a society, as humans? It's exercise. And I kind of read this article thinking, oh my gosh, like I can't believe this is still an open question because we know, we have known for years as a field of medicine, psychology, psychiatry, mental health, we've known for years that exercise, low-grade exercise is as good of an intervention for mild to moderate depression as any psychotropic medicine on the market. But I'd not yet seen it tested with such complicated mental health cases. These researchers reported really positive findings after introducing an exercise routine that was 60 minutes long, four times a week. It included a combination of cardiovascular training, resistance training, and some flexibility. So move your body, lift some stuff, do some stretches. And it was delivered in a group exercise setting with, you know, with a coach, with a trainer, something that most of us as entrepreneurs have pretty easy access to. They also included a one hour session talking about nutrition and the connection between gastrointestinal health and psychological well-being. So this is not deeply fancy and it's not a deeply expensive intervention. It's not like developing a new medicine. It's not like rolling out an FDA-approved clinical trial. And it's low risk, right? The worst case scenario is you get like some sore muscles, maybe a tweaked ankle. But when these researchers talked to the people who participated in this exercise program, they found that overall mood, willingness to engage in treatment, willingness to engage in more exercise, and an interest in movement-based practices, nutrition, even things like body image, that those things improved with even a relatively minimal amount of exposure to exercise. So this kind of blows my mind in a couple directions. One is that it was so effective with a fairly complicated set of folks that these are folks who, according to these study authors, have psychiatric diagnosis ranging from major depression to things like 
bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, things that are a, a little bit more complicated to treat. These also included folks who have schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, schizotypal disorder, and sometimes psychosis. Those are the kinds of diagnoses that tend to land you in a psychiatric inpatient unit. So my mind is blown because <laughs> this works so well, even with this highly difficult to treat population. And then the other thing that's blowing my mind is that it's 2020 and it's just sort of being done. It is not standard practice to have exercise as part of the kind of required activity for psychiatric inpatient patients. And nor is it standard practice for your primary care physician or for your psychiatrist for that matter to sort of write you a prescription for exercise, even though that probably should always be the first order line of treatment. Those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a while know that I am not anti-medicine. I have some apprehensions about medicine, but I have never said on the show, nor will I ever say on the show that psychiatric medicine is bad and people shouldn't take it. But if we can do the least invasive thing, the thing that has the most benefit for your mind, for your body, for your relationships, why is not that the gold standard of treatment? And I'm telling you all, as a mental health professional, that is not the gold standard of treatment, right? People are going to offer medicine, they're going to offer therapy, both of which are great things. But frankly, those interventions should follow a course of dedicated exercise, or at least be given alongside what we know is this minimally invasive, optimally helpful intervention. I kind of feel the need to apologize to the world at large for my discipline and the field of mental health care, which has done such a bad job of integrating the mind and body. We sort of swallowed wholeheartedly Descartes' perspective of mind-body dualism. This idea that the body is just sort of a container, but it's the mind, it's the soul, where the real juicy humanness lies. And that is just so incredibly untrue <laughs> that our our soulfulness, our emotion, our mind, our personality, all of the things that make us most uniquely human, those things live in ourselves. They live in our bodies. And when we artificially separate them and we say, come into a treatment group where you talk about your feelings, but you sit there for hours and hours on end and never move your body, we are working against the very things that can best help us. So I am sitting in my office on a snowy Minnesota night, and it is, I don't know, some ridiculously low temperature. And I realize that it's the middle of winter, and it is, for some of us, really hard to get up and get moving when we're cold, we're tired, it's dark out, it gets dark late in the morning, it gets dark early in the evening, it's super easy to just come in, grab our blanket, sit in front of the fire, best case scenario, Netflix and chill, but when we do that day in and day out, most of us will start to get sad. Sad, of course, also is the acronym for seasonal affective disorder, the kind of low-grade depression that accompanies the winter season. And absolutely, it is a real thing. It is something that a lot of people struggle with, especially where I live in Minneapolis. 
and it is not fully perfectly 100% alleviated by exercise, but man, exercise really helps. Movement helps getting up, especially joining a class where you are around other humans, you're playing together. I know that when I go to my gym, it doesn't always feel like play, but it doesn't take long for there to be a good 90s hip hop song on and we're singing along while we swing our kettlebells or when we're just complaining and commiserating about doing so many burpees. Finding an exercise routine that puts you next to another human is a great way to experience the benefits of movement alongside the benefits of being in a relationship or being part of a community. I've been going to the same gym for, I don't know, maybe three years now. And I definitely don't know everyone that I work out with. I don't work out at the same time every day. So it's kind of hit or miss whether there's going to be someone in class that I know. But it is a place where I feel a level of belonging, where I know the coaches, they know me, I know my way around. It's just kind of one of my places in the community that I feel a connection to. So if you don't have that spot, if you don't have that place where you're like, oh, this is my jam, then I highly recommend that it's time to find your spot. It doesn't have to be a certain kind of gem. It doesn't have to be a certain kind of exercise, but it's the routine. It's the community. It's those, the combination of elevating your heart rate, moving something strong or heavy. So strength training and some stretching that is going to make a huge difference, not only in how you feel physically, of course, how your body looks, but such a huge difference in your mental health that it is now being used to treat some of the most complicated cases of mental illness that are part of our modern diagnostic criteria. One of the reasons that I have spent quite a lot of time in a psychiatric inpatient unit at least more recently, is that my brother Dave was in a psychiatric unit for several months about a year ago. And I saw firsthand what it did to him to be stuck in a room all day where he was sort of expected to sit, to read, to shuffle around from one place to another. There was very little natural light and very little movement. And this is a man who spent much of his adult life in the mountains, much of his adult life on skis, on a bike, on a snowboard, hiking in the back country. And so the very thing that tried to keep him safe, this treatment center that was trying to keep him safe, trying to keep him alive, trying to keep him healthy, had embedded in it a framing of the problem that was so terrible for him. Because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that movement would have helped save him. And in the wake of his loss, it's movement that is helping to heal and save me. It's the way that I'm working out my grief is both aerial training and performance and then the strength training and cardio training that go along with my workout routine. So do not sit there for one second and tell me that you don't have time to exercise. I know you are a busy entrepreneur. I know maybe you're a parent, you've got other things going on, but this is one of the things that is so absolutely essential to keeping you well and whole, especially in the winter, especially when you're busy, especially when business is good or bad or in the middle. So please don't shortchange it because it works. It absolutely works. 
Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.